Hello, and welcome to Square in a Circle. Here's part two of my force management discussion with Chris Reed. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this program are of my own and my guests. They do not reflect the positions of the U.S. government, the Department of Defense, the U.S. Army, or any other organization. This content is for education and information purposes only. And I, I think also, like, building those connections, building that network, you know, to have that phone a friend when you need it, um, and other organizations, I think that, you know, that would, that helps as well. Um Correct, correct me if I'm wrong, and I sincerely apologize. Uh, I, I believe, because I want to get into the KMB selection process, but I believe you sat on the board or you've been the president of the board. Um, I was just wondering if you kind of give us a little insight of what the board proceedings are are like. What is it, you know, what does it entail? Like, how how do we select candidates? If if that information can go can go public, I'm not I'm not sure, but just a little bit of you know insight into the KMB. Uh, selection process. Yeah, I'm retired, man. As long as I don't give up any, uh, you know, classified stuff, I'm good. Um, yeah, a couple of things. So I've done, um, I've done boards, you know, certainly as, as I, I've been on, um, uh, I've been on the uh, selection boards at, at, at DA, um, and in particular under the new, um, you know, under the new process. Um, I've, and I've also been both president and member of, of boards for FA fifties, both for the selection as well as slating. Um, and I, and I think a couple of things, um, first, um, I want to encourage everyone that you really should try to, or, you know, get selected for KMB. Um, I am a, so I, I'm a, I'm a, com, a convert. So if you, you get those questions, when was the last time you changed your mind and, and, uh, you know, let yourself, um, be conditioned a different way. I wrote a paper on the War College that said we should get rid of of, uh, of CSL for FA fifties. Right? I thought that we should. Uh, I thought that we should um, be managed like the forty nines, and uh, you know we have a small enough force and we'd be able to manage it. And then um, to to get back at me, they selected me for CSL, and I and I say that because the first year that we had CSL, I didn't I didn't compete for it. I got yelled at. Um, so I competed the next year where I was only supposed to be an alternate because we didn't have any positions and this was at the 06 level, but then they stood up army cyber command as a CSL and I got pulled into that and it ended up being, you know, a tremendous experience for me and, and, uh, and it completely changed my thinking. Um, so first of all, I, you know, going back to it, I, I think people should compete for it. Secondly, I think we should put it into, you know, one of the things that's hard when you are sitting on a board as an officer, as a senior officer and you're um, looking at those functional areas that don't look like a basic branch, it can be difficult when you're trying to select people for things like the War College, where all you're looking at is their paper because, you know, like for FA-50s, every single job we do is considered a branch qualifying job. We don't put any distinguishing mm -hmm. mark within, you know, 600-3 on whether you've served in a KMB position or not. All that matters is if your paper gets done. And we all know, right, there are people that, get the fortune of being in an assignment or working for someone where they, they do a good job, they get good paper, but the job may not be as difficult as it is in a KMB or something like that. And, you know, that KMB person doesn't get selected for war college and the other person does. And then, you know, people are like, well, what's up with that? Well, that, that can be what's up with that. We have to make the incentive worth it, yeah. right, within 600-3. And that's, I'm going to, I'm going to lay that squarely on the shoulders of your, uh, of your O sixes, right? Cause they have a, uh, they have a colonel's board that, um, that, 
that provides yeah. inputs to the senior FA50 managers, whether that's the FD, the FM, and then whoever the senior FA50 is, um, and uh, you know others, and the G8 um, in particular, and makes those recommendations. And I think that's one of the things that we need to do. When it comes to the board, um, I'm going to tell you again, it's a little bit, instead of being a pretty simple process where you know the best are applying, you look at their records, their records are the best, um, and, you, and it's a pretty simple math discussion, right? Instead, we have a lot of people that, especially in the past, and I know it's, it's changed a little bit, but have opted out um, or, you know, for one reason or another, are not going to compete for KMB. And then you end up getting folks that, that get KMB. And again, you're wondering, well, how did that person get KMB? And this person, you know, didn't or isn't or doesn't want it. Um, in a lot of cases, it's it's a math problem of how many slots do we have and how many people do we have are competing. And even if you're not at the top of the list, if you will, or at the top of the OML, folks are still getting KMB because they're the only ones available. Um, and that is what it is um, from, a, from a personal standpoint, right? That's good for them that they get that KMB slot and they get to move on. But where that can be a bad thing is if that KMB, right, those KMBs are in units or in organizations where the leaders of those organizations at, at Echelon, right, could be the three or it could be the deputy commander or it could be the commander. If, if they see someone who is subpar in that role, if that person's record is true to who they are as an officer and they probably shouldn't be in that role, but they get it and they don't do well, that hurts us as a branch. We want to send our best forward. Sometimes people, you know, sometimes people get bad luck in their career. You know, they get some bad ratings or something. They should, and they, they get into a KMB position and they crush it. I have someone that I consider a friend who's, who did exactly that, you know, had a, had kind of some tough luck as a major. Luckily the army course corrected as a Lieutenant Colonel and a Colonel when, you know, did KMB, went to war college, um, and, and is crushing it. Um, that that's not always the case. So, you know, I do think that um, I do think that the the selection process, to be honest, is pretty straightforward. If we end up, you know, doing something a little more along the lines of what the basic branches do, it will be that much harder. Um, but I still think it's worth it. Um, and I will say that if you're rated as a KMB, um, you know, and you perform well, and the officers who are rating you do their jobs and are not biased, and that sometimes can be a problem as well. You know, when you have folks who are biased towards basic branch officers as opposed to functionals, but when you have someone who's not, it, it pays off, and it, and I think it does a I think it does a good service to us as a as a um, as a branch by um, by providing that experience and in giving us senior leaders who are every bit as um, competent and qualified as their basic branch you know brothers and sisters. I'm going to pause there because I don't know if I answered the, if you were looking for some details on how the board goes, um, you know, I, I can answer some of that too, but. Uh, if you want to shed some light on that, that would be great. I, I do, I do have one follow-up question that, so what if, you know, Matt Bigelow is selected for KMB, um, just say, I don't know, whatever organization, but I don't want to go to that organization what what happens then? Can I recompete the next year, or am I completely like yanked, like I'm out to the pasture kind of thing? Or what does that look like? Well, I mean, it's it's similar to what happens if 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 Chris Reed Infantryman gets selected for um, I don't know 
let's say I, I really, really, really wanted to go to the 82nd um, and get a, you know, a, an airborne battalion there, but instead I get selected for, to command the airborne school. Um, or if I wanted to, well, no, that's different, but, and, and I get selected for the airborne school. It's a trade out command. I don't want to do that. Hey, can I just skip this year? You give it to somebody else and I'll go somewhere else. No, you, you end up declining with prejudice. Um, and, and that's at least the last board I sat on. That is what happened with fifties. Now, what I will tell you, and I, and I've given this advice to more officers than, you know, than I can count is, you know, when you are a, as an example, when you're a second lieutenant infantryman and, you know, you're, uh, or, or inf- I, I keep saying infantryman, but, um, infantry officer, um, and you go to ranger school and your significant other says, if you're going to be gone for three months, then I'm going to leave you. And you decide that you're going to quit ranger school. That, that's a bad idea, right? That's a bad decision because that person is probably going to leave you anyway. When you are a lieutenant colonel or a colonel and you make a decision for your family over your career, um, rarely, rarely is that a bad decision, right? And so there are officers that for any number of reasons, and a lot of them have to do with family, make a decision on, um, on KMB based off of what they've got going on. They, they've got kids in school that they don't want to move. Their, you know, their spouse has a great job. They don't want to move. They are, you know, they've been working hard and deploying and, and, you know, rowing hard and they, and they don't want to, you know, do whatever it is in that KMB because they, you know, it could be that the job they're in is, is going to give them a good, you know, baseline as they, as they, um, as they get ready for retirement and, and what they're going to do next in their lives, right. As we go on to our second careers, there's a number of different reasons that people make decisions on KMB and they have to understand that there is, you know, there's, there's consequences for that. And those consequences should be weighed against what, what they, what their reason is for not doing that. Just like it is, you know, in the big army as a, uh, as a branch, a basic branch officer, I, you know, I have, there's another great officer I know that's an 06 that was that got selected for brigade command. It's you know in a particular branch, and th- that person made the decision that they didn't want to move their family, um, they didn't want their kids to have to leave school, and they turned it down. And they're going to retire as an 06, and they're still great, tremendous, uh, a great and tremendous officer. But they made a decision, you know, that that they are perfectly happy and at peace with, and I think that's a you know that's a good thing. You just have to understand what what that is and what those consequences are, and then you need to take them. Um, you know, we we are all um, we're all held accountable for the choices that we make, right? Good good and bad. And if you you make good decisions and you get held accountable for that, and it comes out positive for you, and you know, on the backside you make bad decisions, um, you know, same thing in the opposite direction. Yeah. As long as you're comfortable with the decision you're making, um, then you know I, I think you're in a good place. Is there any like specifics of the the KMB board proceedings that you can shed some light on? Like how how does it work? Is it in some I don't know dark room somewhere, and you just got a whole bunch of files and you're going <laughs> over it rack rack and stack? Like I guess just you know just what does it look like? Um, yeah, definitely not a dark room. Um, and, and what I will <laughs> tell you is it, it's it's pretty straightforward. Um, you know the uh, you have you know, the, the branch manager, the FA 50, uh, PDO, um, and, um, usually that's the, the two main ones that are running you through the board process. 
you know the the branch manager is is clearly a a um, you know an, a, a uh, what do you call it? And uh, I'm going to say the wrong word, but they they are sanctioned by HRC to be able to do this. So you're getting you know the yeah. exact right process. It's validated. It's it's legit, if you will, from the board perspective. They're making sure that all the I's are dotted and all the T's are crossed. The FA50 um, you know professional development officer is absolutely in touch and in tune with the senior um, managers of the FA50 branch. So the FD, the FM, sometimes one of those two are on the board, the G8, right? The, the, the main folks that, um, and the senior FA50 that are, um, that are guiding the branch. Um, so they're in tune with, with what their expectations are and they're making sure that from a 50 specific um, standpoint, you know, the board is meeting the requirements that it needs. I, I'll tell you the, and I highly recommend any opportunity you get to serve on a board, you know, logistics being what they are, I, I understand there's bad times of the year or whatever. But everyone should strive to be a member of a board, and it doesn't matter. I don't care if you're picking right E sevens, um, or if you're picking O sevens. Um, you you want to get that opportunity because what I will tell you is it will give you comfort um, and. Um, uh, confidence in the way that the army selects their, um, you know, their, their next, whatever it is, whether it's for school, whether it's for, um, whether it's for a command position, whether it's for promotion. Um, at the end of the day, our processes are not perfect. Things happen. Sometimes someone doesn't get something that they should have. Sometimes someone's, you know, sometimes someone gets something that they shouldn't have, but overarchingly, you know, the board process is, valid it is you know uh, righteous if you will um and, and it's done very professionally so i i will say that and then from a from a board standpoint for fa50s it's pretty simple you get a board file you look at it and you know what you know you you have to kind of work your way through what the scoring is right you go anywhere from a six plus down to a i don't think there's a zero but down to a one um and, and it's and it's you know, it's again, it's pretty straightforward. If they've met the gates that they need to meet, that they need to meet, if they have good um, OERs, and if those OERs in particular are distinguishing, if they say, you know, um, if they say Matt is number one of, you know, the best officer or the number one officer of fifty across all branches in my division at this rank, it's pretty simple. That's a six plus, right? Mm -hmm. um, if it says that, you know. If it says that Chris, you know, even when given um, constant supervision and simple tasks um, that he sets himself still fails to meet them, then, you know, we're, we're talking about a one or a two. It's pretty simple. Does it get a little squishy in the middle when you're looking at, you know, three, four, five pluses, minuses, et cetera? Sure it does. Right. Um, and, and there, there's some nuance sometimes, you know, if you've got a master's degree and I decide I'm going to give you a plus, but, you know. The, the person next to me, not, not literally, but, you know, at, at the next yeah. seat over decides that master's degree is just the standard. So if you get a master's degree, you're a, you're at a, you know, you're just at a, a, a base number. But if you don't have a master's degree, I'm going to give you a minus. I mean, there are some things in there that do it, um, you know, that, that go to the personal, um, I guess, I don't want to say preference, but the, the personal um, uh, standards of the of the officer that's doing the rating, but but the system is there for that. What I will also tell you is that sometimes those things do make a difference. A lot of times, the cutoff line for a board, right? It it might be 
I, I'm going to make up a number. It might be 35 points. And so you might have four or five or six officers that are at 35 points. And so you end up counting up those pluses and minuses. And if you have more pluses, right, then those pluses get you over the line, even though you had the same score as, as someone else. So if Matt has a 35 with three pluses and Chris has a 35 with one plus, Matt gets it if that's where the cutoff line is. So those kinds of things can be helpful to you and can make a difference, um, but it really depends on the position. The best thing you can do is, is I'm going to go back to very the very beginning. Do the very best at the jobs that you're in. Um, be competent. Be you know be relevant, and uh, and and apply yourself so that you're a master of of whatever that role is that you're in. And you know more often than not, you're going to be just fine, and it's going to reflect in your OERs and in your career progression as you go forward, whether it's opportunities for school, etc. If you're not doing that, then you're playing the luck of the draw. Now, has there ever been a situation where, say, you know, person A is, is competing for, for K and B um, and their file is, is 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 immaculate, like great, like the paper is 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 hot, like they are they are, you know, they have a really great file, strong. But then person B, you know, maybe doesn't have any MQs, you know, their file is not, not that strong, but you have, you know, the feeling that like person B really is more cut out for K and B than person A, just because, you know, you know, we have a small community. Cause what I'm getting after is, you know, we have a small community, everyone, you know, knows each other for the most part, just does that kind of factor in because, you know, we work with so-and-so we may know some of the intangible, some of the background, um, and may feel that this person is probably more suitable, more suited, well prepared for K and B. Juxtapose this person who may have a really strong file, but we just know we're just not cut it. If that makes sense, I know it's kind of a long, long winded. Uh, yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. You know, it it could be that I don't know. Let's 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 pretend here that you know Matt is Chris's protege, mm -hmm. and Chris really likes Matt because you know Matt's done the same jobs. They've been in the same units. Um, Matt, you know, looks and, and walks and talks and acts just like Chris does. And Chris really wants to get him over the line, even though Matt, Matt's just had a tough time, right? And, is, and didn't get all the evals, but he should have. And so Chris decides that he's going to give Matt a really great score, um, even though Matt's record doesn't reflect it. The great news is Chris isn't the only person on that board, right? This is not mm -hmm. way back in the day, you know, like from the Vietnam era where Chris got to pick his own battalion commanders when he became a division commander. Um, this is the days of we have you know five or six or seven officers on that board, and while Chris might think Matt is great, the other you know five or six officers on the board um, understand that Matt's paper doesn't cut it. And so when the board does its evals, or I'm sorry, does its ratings, if there is a significant discrepancy in the board, right? So um, and usually it's like a two point difference. If if I let's say I rate you as a six and everyone else has you as a three because you're, you're, you're not bad. You're just average, right? Three is average. Mm -hmm. That's always a hard discussion. <laughs> hey, you are doing a great job, but you're, you know, you're doing your job. You're not going above and beyond. You're a three, right? If yeah. you're, if you're, you know, number one of 50 of all branches across my entire division, you're a six, but if you're just doing your job and doing it, you know, you're doing it fine. You're a three. Right. Everybody else is going to see you're a three and they're going to re-rate those. OK. And it's going to come through and I'm going to have to go back through and, and re-rate. And it's 
it's not that you know it's they they try to do it without embarrassing the person for sure right but it, but it's fairly clear if you know you're the only one who's outstanding um it, it, when they redo it you're gonna have to you know re-rate that officer and so even if you do re-rate them let's say right so so chris re-rates matt and uh this time i just decide to give you a five um it, that becomes the rating that stands, but it's not going to pass the test when the other, you know, five or six officers are all rating you as a three. You're going to you're going to come out overall as a three, and the board's going to balance out that way, where it's not going to give you an unfair advantage over someone else. And, and and you know, let's face it, you do see that, right? You not you don't see people doing that, but when you're on a board, you see people you know. I mean, you just yeah. especially as fifties. I mean, we we know <laughs> we all know each other, right? Yeah. I mean, um, so it, it's, it's inevitable that that's going to happen, but we don't, you know, be in, in, I'm going to, and I'm going to go back to the reason why I was converted from wanting to just manage, um, our, our branch internally with the leadership versus using a board system or a board process. That's what can happen when, you know, and, and I, and I'm not saying anybody does this. I'm not saying anybody's nefarious. But there is always a chance of that, that if someone has a good relationship, even if they're not the best, um, and if someone else who is the best or is better, maybe doesn't have the same relationships, it could be luck and timing. It could just be, you know, it could just be the way things go. Um, but that's why we have this board process. That's why I think it's important. And that's why I think we should keep it. Um, and I like the idea of doing it as a KMB, um, you know, the way we're doing it now. Um, so that it does put a, a level of rigor and fairness. Um, it's not perfect, never will be, but I do think it's a very good level of rigor and fairness into the process. Yeah, I know, you know, the Legion Lieutenant Colonels and, you know, the Colonel Boards, I know they're, you know, they're looking at all that and I think decisions and will be coming soon. I just, you know... I'm really excited to know, you know, what is the, what is the right answer? What is, what is KD, you know, for a major, you know, is, you know, is one of one, like you have to have one of one, um, you know, the K and B assignments, you know, what is the path to, to getting there? Um, Cause I know that's, that's being ironed out right now. They're looking at, looking at that and some decisions, decisions soon. Um, but, you know, as a, as a junior major, you know, I, you know, I want to know what the path path going forward so I can plan accordingly. Um, what, yeah, and that's the unfortunate thing, right, yeah. is that we, we don't have um, – it, it's good and bad. You know, if, if – I, I would argue if anybody were to look at my career path, right, I mean, I, I got out as a captain. I have – you know, I worked as a civilian. I managed um, – I was a highway engineer for a couple of years, and then I managed Home Depot's. Um, then I came back in and I did a lot of time at the Pentagon, um, that I, which believe me, I did not want to stay at the Pentagon as long as I did. Um, and then I, you know, I, I wound up in soft, um, and got some really unique experiences there. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's the least, you know, FA 50 <laughs> of, of the senior FA 50s. I probably have less time being an actually, F, be, actually being an FA 50 than a lot of folks, um, and at the same time, it also gave me some unique experiences that I think did give me, you know, an advantage as I continue to move forward. Um, you know, and whether I, you know, any argument could be made whether I should have, you know, moved up or, or, or not, that doesn't matter. What I do know is that the experiences that I had, you know, definitely made me 
more, um, it gave me different viewpoints and different angles to see things mm -hmm. and different opportunities that I wouldn't have had. Right. So I think, you know, again, going back to it, um, I think the most important thing is, you know, doing well in the jobs you're in, looking for those opportunities to, that fit you, right. It's, it's not for everyone, but that fit you and being willing to take those. I, I think we need to put a little bit more, um, discipline, if you will, into our selections for KMB, um, and, and incentivize that a little bit more for the force so that those that do want to keep going and, and, you know, get to a higher level and, and, you know, perhaps challenge themselves more or what have you, um, are able to do that. Um, while at the same time, you know, I mean, we, we just have too many positions. Not everybody's going to get to do KMB. Um, not everybody's going to get to, you know, necessarily do the things that they, that they would like to do. Um, but we have plenty of work to go around. And I think we have, you know, again, I'm, I'm going to go back to, I think we have a much better class on the whole of officers, you know, than we had 15 years ago when I was coming in. Um, just because, you know, you, you guys have been through a lot more as junior officers with your, you know, your combat rotations. And, uh, and I think the expectations on you now and the gates that you have to meet, the standards that you have to meet, whether it's for promotion or school are that much tougher. And I, and I think you guys are up to, you know, a up to the task and B um, I think you're equally on level with your peers across other branches to be able to do good things and keep the FA 50 branch sticking around for a while and being relevant and being valuable. I want to touch base on the, uh, your experiences. Um, and we talked about this on the phone and I, I should have asked this question in the beginning, but I, I know there was, you know, you, you got out of the army, um, you were in the reserves, but you're in the civilian side. Um, it's just wondering, you know, those civilian experiences, did they help you as a force manager? Was there anything from the civilian experiences that you brought forward into the force management community? Yeah, I think um, there are two very specific, I guess, skill sets that I brought forward. So um, I, I was fortunate enough in the reserves to be an S3. And really, because my, my reserve commander was not mobilized and my entire battalion was mobilized, and I was the senior guy, I was, in effect, the battalion commander. Um, it was training. We were in the States, you know, so I don't, I don't want to oversell it. But I was the senior leader kind of on the ground making decisions. And I got that experience both as, you know, I, I got credit as a three. Um, but I also got experience in, in, you know, essentially having some of the, the duties and responsibilities of a battalion commander. And that's always helpful when you get to, to have that. Um, and, and I'll fast forward on the military side, right? The organization, you know, the, the special mission unit that I was a deputy commander of was essentially a brigade in size. It had a unique mission and, and whatnot. But, you know, I was able to be a brigade deputy commander for two and a half years, which is an experience that a lot of us as 50s, you know, we don't get that opportunity at the higher levels um, of command. Um, and, and it just gave me, I think, it gave me a perspective. It doesn't make me better. It doesn't mean, you know, I was a better FA-50 or a better officer. It just gave me a different perspective from some of my peers. The same thing goes on the on the civilian side in running. You know, I ran a um, a fifty million dollar um, uh, construction site with about two hundred um, employees on it. Um, I ran two different stores for Home Depot. One was an eighty million dollar um, business, and one was a hundred million dollar store. 
um, with 300 associates and 400 associates. So what I would argue is, you know, it, it gave me experience leading, you know, um, at a at a kind of a battalion level. Um, and, and in particular on the civilian side, right, most of us or a lot of us, when we're junior officers, we don't get to work a lot with civilians. And then all of a sudden you're thrust into the Pentagon or combatant command or something, and it's you know, far more civilians than it is military. And some people have a difficult time making that adjustment. Um, as you know, all of us find out when we retire and get out into the civilian world where everyone's a civilian, um, it, it's, it's far different than it is even, you know, having to work with or manage or supervise, um, or lead, uh, government civilians. They're, they have a lot of the rules that are similar to ours. Um, whereas in the civilian world, it's not that way. And so again, it, it doesn't make me better or anything like that, but it did give me a different perspective, not, but, and, and it gave me a different respect perspective that I think, um, was valuable to me personally. Um, as I, you know, came back into the regular army and, and continued on my career path. Um, and then, you know, from the other side of it, you know, it's, there's a big difference between running an $80 million profit and loss business and having an 80 or a hundred million dollar budget in the army. Um, it, it, it just gives you a good perspective, I think, on the business side of things of, you know, the difference between effectiveness and efficiency, the difference between, you know, um, understanding at, at, at what it takes to get more for your dollar um, and how and in ways that you can help, um, especially as you become more of a senior leader. Right. When I when I was at you know the, the special mission unit. I managed the entire, I, I didn't manage it. Let me take that back. I was responsible for the entire, you know, I had about 200 civilians and I was responsible for everything for them from, you know, health and welfare to, um, to their, you know, um, uh, mentorship and education to their um, pay, right? Their bonus structure, et cetera, et cetera. And now I'm thrust into doing that. Um, and, it, and at least I had a, you know, it, it helped me with an understanding of that from what I got on the civilian side just a little bit different experience, just a little bit different perspective. I would argue you get those when you take those um, hard jobs and those, mm -hmm. you know, what I consider um, broadening jobs. I, you know, the, the, the harder and more broadening of a job that you can take that gets you out of your comfort zone, which is exactly all that, that's all those where we're just hard broadening jobs that got me out of my comfort zone and gave me a different perspective. When you get the opportunity to do those, I highly encourage you to take those because it gives you a different perspective and it'll make you that much personally, that much better. And then how you choose to apply it as an officer, that's up to you. You know, there's, if, if you ask 10 people who know me, you know, you probably get 10 different opinions on whether those were good experiences and I was better for it or, you know, bad experiences and I was worse for it. Right. Um, I, I know for me, it helped me from a personal perspective and, and that's what, you know, I think that's what's important at the end of the day. That's awesome. I, I want to jump into some contemporary issues, get your thoughts, your perspectives on on one in particular, the the recruiting crisis. Um, just want to see, you know, what what your thoughts are on the on the challenges and and what are the implications do you see of you know going back to back years of of, of meeting our our mark of, of getting people in um you know failing to meet the numbers i was just wondering from a from a senior force management perspective you know just what are what are your thoughts on that 
Yeah, I, I would tell you that if, if I had the answer to the recruiting um, problem, I would be Chris Reed and Associates um, making an absolute ton of money um, selling my <laughs> services back to the Army right now in retirement. Um, so I wish I, I <laughs> man, I wish I had that answer. Um, yeah, I think um, here's what I think. Um, wow. <laughs> That's a good question. One I wasn't ready for. Um, look, recruit, what, here's yeah. what I can tell you. Recruiting's hard, right? It, it's yeah. hard no matter what. The, the year that I became a recruiting commander um, back in 1999 was the first year the, that the Army missed its, um, its, its quota, if you will, or its recruitment goals um, since we became an all-voluntary force in, in 1973. And mm -hmm. a lot of times what, what we think works for us is um, is not what really works, right? We, we have a tendency to recruit in kind of our honey, honey holes, if you will, right? Or, um, you know, you think about where you, if, you, if you're a fisherman, where do you keep going back to? Because that's where the fish are, right? We end up recruiting where the fish are, if you will, or, or where the, you know, the, the vast majority of recruits are that, that are going to come to us. And I think that, you know, some of those are, are drying up. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, you know, I, I don't think you, you see it now, right? You see the, the, the difference between how well respected the military was a decade ago um, versus how well respected we are today. Um, I think you see it in, in the kind of the divide between the, the civil military side of things. Um, I, I think that, you know, the, the, I think that we are at a point where we're just not understanding um, you know, the folks that we need to bring in and we're not understanding of, of what, you know, what they need to make them feel, um, you know, a, a desire to serve. And it, I, I think we often think it's, it's too easy along the lines of the levers of, you know, money or, um, whatever else. I mean, you know, I keep telling my, I, I have a, or a, a college sophomore, um, who's got, you know, a full beard and he's, he's crushing it in college. I mean, he's doing a great job. Um, but I would sure like him to, you know, help me out financially by getting a, you know, a scholarship. And I'm like, well, you know, you, you can talk to the military. I don't want to push him in there, but I'd like him to know what his options are. And he's like, Hey dad, not even remotely interested. Right. And, yeah. and I mean, um, and, and that's the way it is, right. He, he's, he's going to do what he needs to do. He's his own man. And, and, uh, and, and, you know, I, I, I can't force them into doing something. Um, and I, and I don't have the answer to, I mean, I'm not trying to recruit them for the military, but even if I was, if that was like, you know, if someone said to me, Hey, you have to do this or, you know, bad consequences, I, I wouldn't know what to do. Right. I'd, I'd probably end up trying to guilt them into it. Cause I, I don't know what would, you know, what would convince him to, to make the flip over. I do know, um, you know, that I think the army recognizes the problem it has, and I think they are starting to go to the sources that they need to go to to try and get that change over. And I would, you know, I would argue that, um, you know, in time, um, we'll kind of probably figure it out and, and, and move beyond it. But I think that, you know, from a personal perspective, what I try to do is just make that connection when I'm out in the civilian world, right. And, and be the, you know, I, 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 I don't talk bad about the army. I talk about the good experiences I've had and the, the fun and the, you know, and I try to help people understand things when they ask questions about, you know, whatever it might be. 
in a way that's in English that, you know, that relates to them and try to be, you know, a, a good, um, I don't want to say ambassador because I, I don't think I'm that, but I, I try to be, you know, someone who can at least give them a straight answer and, a, and, a, and accentuate the positive of what it is to serve your country. And it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't specify between army or any other service. I just think it's good to serve your country in, in any way. And, and then I think the other thing too, is to, you know, um, to recognize that, you know, there's, there's not, I don't know, there's not only one way to serve. Um, and, and I think people understand that when you're, when you're thankful and, and, uh, respectful of what they are doing, um, whether it's, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm gonna, if you had a video on, you'd see me using the finger quotes, right? I'm a, I'm a dirty contractor yeah. now. Um, but, but I'm not, I'm, I'm out there doing the things I need to do for my company, but my company is also, you know, it has pride in what it does and it, and it wants to provide good, you know, product and services to all of its customers, whether it's commercial customers, you know, DOD customers, et cetera. Um, and, and they're, they're trying to do that because again, they're, they're just like us in the military. They take pride in what they do and they want to do the best job at it. They can that was a no, total non-answer, but it's probably as no, good as you're going to get. <laughs> no, no, no. That was that was good, um, and, I, and I appreciate that. I, I think it's a fascinating topic to talk about, um, and and I sincerely apologize for for throwing that one on there without you know kind of going. No, over no, it. no, no, not at what all. That's a good question. To? I mean, it's a really good one. Um, I just no, it was a really good question. I just uh, I wish I had it. I wish I had the answer. Yeah, I, I recently uh, just interviewed a. a a former recruiting battalion commander who he just uh, published a, a paper um, and, I'll, and I'll get this out on the, on the streets sometime this week, maybe tomorrow on the, the podcast. Um, but he, you know, he published his thoughts on the, uh, the recruiting crisis and the all volunteer force. And, uh, you know, it was a really, really good conversation. And, you know, now I'm, I'm really starting to like, you know, I'd like to get, you know, a force management perspective on it. Um, you know, the implications of, of not meeting, you know, the, the manning quotas. Right. Um, and, you know, not to, not, not for spoilers or to put words in his mouth, but like some of the conversation we're having was that, you know, there's really no proximate cause to this. There's just, there's a lot of issues of why we're not getting folks to, to join. Um, you know, it, part of it is, you know, it's just, we have a really, really good economy going right now. Um, also, you know, demography, right? Demographics is kind of destiny. We just got a, a small force pool of, of people in like Gen Z that we're trying to, uh, trying to get in. And you got all the services that are, you know, in a knife fight, trying to get the same people that are, that are qualified, you know, to, to get in or, you know, have the propensity to, to serve. So yeah, just, you know, just a fascinating topic. I just wanted to, to get your thoughts. And, and if you don't mind, I'd like to throw another one out there that, um, when, when you came to visit us um, at the Force Management Schoolhouse, uh, right at the tail end of our of our graduation, we were talking about like the character of war, and you know you mentioned how you know you don't think the nature of war has changed, but you know the character of war you know has changed, and so I kind of wanted to pick your brain a little bit and get your thoughts on and and where you see the you know the changes in the character of war. Yeah, that's that's always a good question. It's funny at the war college. There's always someone who um, who tries to argue that the nature of war is changing, and then they get crushed, right? Yeah. Um, I I do think the character. I I think the character of war. Um, I, I'm going to say this, right? Is it is it changing? Absolutely. the The world is changing at mm -hmm. a speed and and uh, or really at a pace that I would argue in the military we're we're not up with. Um, 
you know, when you think of how the military used to innovate, um, as particularly on the on the technology technological side, you know, fifty, a hundred years ago, um, we we just aren't able to keep up with that now. It's not that we don't have some innovations; we do, but we're seeing it a lot elsewhere in the world, and in a, in a lot of cases from non traditional sources, right? It's not it's not nation states necessarily that are that are um, that are uh, innovating. And sometimes it's not even, you know, like the big companies with a lot of money and, uh, and, and, uh, and a lot of influence that are the ones that are influencing. And in a lot of cases, I, I think we are in a, a period of, of bottom up groundswell that is changing the world from a, in particular, from a technological standpoint that we haven't seen in a, in a really long time. Um, and, and I'm not, you know, I, I absolutely offer you no references whatsoever to support that theory that I just threw out there, but I, yeah. but I, um, I'm just going to call it sort of a feeling, right? And yeah. so I think our ability to adapt um, is not going to, and and our ability to um, to influence the fight going forward is more than ever going to come from you know, the, the groundswell below us where we haven't necessarily traditionally tapped into, right? We've tended to say, you know, I mean, we've, you know, you go back and you look at the list of, you know, people whose portraits are on walls in the Pentagon or at West Point or wherever, right, in a museum, and we go, oh, that, that guy was an innovator. He, you know, he did this. Or, you know, she was an innovator, she did that. And they're of high rank or of high stature, and, and we talk about what they did. I think we're in a, a place today where you know the 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 best innovators and the ones who are going to um, best adapt us as a joint force um, to the changing character of war are those that are in the ranks, you know. And and I'm, I don't mean just enlisted or or warrants or or officers, but you see a lot of cases where we are finally going out and finding talent within the ranks, whether it's with you know to find coders. Yeah. to find people with experience in AI, to find, you know, wh whatever it might be. And they've got phenomenal ideas. They're far more educated than, you know, ever in the past. They're, you know, they, they process information at a speed and um, complexity level that we're, that someone like me is just not used to. And, I, and I'll argue, right, you know, I, I, my youngest son is, is 14 now, but I can remember when he was like, you know, seven and he's, killing you know his brothers and my and me at something like battlefront and he's like a foot away from a giant screen tv and information is coming at him so fast and you know his thumbs are going crazy and he's able to process it and he's getting the high score right it's just his ability to process information and to and and, and you know he carries it forward now he's I mean, he's, you know, he, he's like, he's a jock, he plays football, but he also, you know, reprograms his, his games, um, and, you know, doing all his mods and everything else on his, on his, uh, gaming computer that I spent a small fortune to get him. Right. <laughs> so I, I think it's that talent at the lower level and hopefully he's going to take care of me one day when I need it. Yeah. Um, but it's that talent at the lower level, I think. And it's not just us, right? It doesn't matter whether it's, you know, it's it's all across the world where I think we have this groundswell now. And I think we're, I think we're finally starting to understand that we have it in the military too. And we have these, you know, what do you do with a, and this is a good question that we, you know, that I watched people struggle with in, in cyber is what do you do when you have an enlisted person who 
is the best, you know, you put them, you put an enlisted person, you put a, a, you know, a warrant officer and you put an officer into school to be a coder and the, you know, the, the fail rate is like 30% and the best one that comes out of it is a specialist, right? Who may not even have a degree. It's just what he or she has done for fun, you know, for mm-hmm. the past five years and they're tremendously talented at it and they don't want to be, you know, they don't want to be a leader. They like being on their keyboard. They don't even care about going to school because they don't need to because, you know, they'll go to learn, but they're not there to get a degree, right? Yet they're the best coder. And guess what? I'm paying them specialist pay where, you know, the commander is making, you know, more money or the warrant is making more money. Um, and if you go into the civilian world, that's not the way it is. The person with the most talent makes the most money. Um yeah. Right. So, and, and has more opportunities, et cetera. And I think, I think that's going to be part of our, I think that is part of our challenge is how we um, are able to deal with that and, and able to take some non-traditional approaches while still maintaining, oh, by the way, because at the end of the day, we do still have to fight. I don't think the nature of war is changing. Unfortunately, I don't think we're going to go to, you know, some kind of non-kinetic future warfare, right, where it's not ugly and dirty and shitty and sucks. Um, and people die and, you know, um, in, in all the bad things that come with war, um, I don't think any of that's going away. So how do we find balance between the two? Right. And I think that's going to be, I think that's a difficult thing for leaders to have to face. I, I don't think we have, you know, I don't think anybody's got the answer to that. Some folks are better at it than others, but I think it's one of those challenges that we're going to have to work our way through. And, and to go back to your earlier point on recruiting, all the problems that we face nowadays, they're all wicked problems, right? They're complex. They're complicated. It takes, uh, you know, I'll steal a term. It takes a village to solve them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm going to kind of tie this back to FA-50s, right? You know, the, I think the goodness of being an FA-50 and the reason why I've talked about things like understanding stakeholders and agendas, understanding atmospherics, understanding second and third order impacts, understanding politics understanding the influencers, both internal and external on things and the motivations behind why, you know, people and organizations are doing the things they're doing, being able to kind of wrap that up into a um, series of options and explain it along with risk and mitigation. Um, And, you know, um, I, I guess I'd call it giving the commander the right variables that they put into their calculus because we're not commanders, so we don't necessarily know what what uh, what um, you know um, damn what uh, not theorem. Um, I don't know what equation they're necessarily using, right? But I know that I need to provide them all the right variables so that they can pull the variables they need in order to come to an outcome. I think I think our ability as FA50s to be able to kind of pull all that together is the value of what we bring because you know I, I had a really smart G8 who used to say that G8 wasn't responsible for everything but we ran along all of the seams of all the processes within the army and DOD and it gave us a much better and broader perspective. I think all those things that I just talked about are pieces and parts of that and I think they're all um, important inputs as we try to resolve these wicked problems. And oh, by the way, we have to do it with our friends and partners that are in you know, other functional areas, other branches, yeah. other mm-hmm. branches of service, civilians, academic, right, think tanks, you know, yada, yada. So I, I think all those things are, um, are you know, part of that changing character of war, whether it's on the 
you know, enterprise side where sometimes the 50s sit or whether it's on the ground, you know, at the tactical edge. And we as 50s, I think, need to be um, more than aware. Um, we, we really need to be much, have much greater understanding and, um, and mastery of some of those things in order to continue to be valuable. Yeah, I, I think that'd be a be a good uh, research project, little uh, maybe a future podcast on you know how other countries, how other services do force management, because that's definitely sparked my intellectual curiosity, kind of trying to understand that. But I'm also curious, you know, if we train these programmers, these um, you know coders um, in the army, and and they're whatever, you know, they're at, you know specialist rank, private, whatever, um, and we train them up to do that that skill set, that function, are they going to have access to whatever software, you name it out there in order to like debug it, alter the ag- algorithms, all that because of, you know, licensing and IP and, you know, whatever company doesn't want to, you know, give up, you know, those, you know, that, that, that access, you know, because of, you know, whatever, um, you know, legal or, you know, monetary issues, whatever that need, need to be resolved in order to have that. So I'm just, yeah, just throwing that out there, you know, just curiosity on that. Um, yeah, I think we are getting, I think we're getting better at that. Um, we're not there yet. I, I just sat in, um, I just sat in a, a government forum um, that was specifically talking about software and, you know, the abil- the military's ability to do it. I'll tell you this, we're a lot further along than we used to be, right? We're starting to get, I, I think that you're starting to see some of the um, more innovative tech companies who are who are positioning themselves as solutions partners for the DOD in, in a way that's similar to some of the way the big integrators, you know, over the last, you know, 30 to 80 years have positioned themselves as solutions partners. I, th- I think we want to be careful not to make it exclusive like we have maybe on the you know for for some of the big integrators um i i think we i think we want to be able to ensure that we keep it inclusive of you mm. know of of where that groundswell of of innovation is coming from and giving them the opportunities um and doing it with discipline right and 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 some um some safeguards in the process but not in a way that locks everyone out so it, it that's another one of those wicked problems, but I, I think we're getting better. All right. That's great. I really appreciate that. I, I think we'll, we'll get to the concluding questions. And these are the questions that I ask every guest, regardless of, of, of topic. And so the first one to kick off with is, you know, a book recommendation. Like what is your all time favorite book? Um, I'm going to give you two. Um, mm-hmm. I, I read a book a, a while back um, called, um, it was called Lawrence in Arabia, as opposed to Lawrence of Arabia. And uh, for my generation and, and, you know, 20 years of experience, um, and, and certainly there are folks out there that have far more than I do, but 20 years of experience with the Middle East, um, it, it was a good um, primer for why things, you know, have been so screwed up there and, and, uh, mm. and kind of how we got here. And I, and I was just, I found it a fascinating book and really enjoyed it. It's pedestrian. I got it. Um, in terms of, you know, it's, I'm not going to give you like, um, you know, the Iliad or the Odyssey. If, if you're looking for, you know, someone with some kind of outstanding thing, um, I, I'm not going to be the guy. 
Um, but it, but yeah. I, you know, I just, I found it to be a really interesting, I found it to be a really interesting book. I will tell you my all time favorite book. And this is going to be the like knuckle dragonist, low brow infantry answer ever, but it is the book Rommel attacks. And, oh. and I'm going to tell you why. Um, when I was a young, you know, brand new second Lieutenant, I read that book and it is all about audacity, right? It's it's pretty simple. It's just Rommel going through World War One and everything he does, you know, in fighting his battles across, you know, various um, in France, Romania, and Italy. And and from a it's a it's a pretty simple book. But I think what it taught me as a younger officer was audacity. It's it's the willingness to try. It's the willingness to get out of your comfort zone. It's the willingness to take risk. Um, it's the willingness to you know to take a beating and learn your lesson and then keep moving forward at all costs. Um, mm-hmm. and so it's, it's well beyond, don't get me wrong. It's well beyond what, what, you know, where, where you and most of your peers are these days. Um, but if you want to go back to what is my all time favorite book, as simple as it is, that's it. And it's for those lessons that I learned out of it. Um, so, you know, again, um, if you were looking for like some kind of you know philosophical highbrow uh, reading, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> yeah, <long guess>. yeah, <laughs> no, um, but yeah, I mean that's that's talking war, that's talking war fighting, and I think it's also you know with that the book on from Rommel, I think that's important for us as force managers to be able to, you know, we should be getting into that field and understanding uh, war fighting and and war and be able to speak it. Um, okay, so next question is you know what emerging or future capability technology worries you the most? Yeah, I think it's, um, I, I think it is, uh, I don't want to answer this. I, I'm not going to say it's necessarily, I, I think it's technology in general. You know, I, I think one of the things that, that was great about, you know, the simple life of, you know, decades ago, was you know everybody could agree on the truth right it it didn't matter we could we had different opinions on how to apply it we had different political opinions we had different you know this and that but we could generally agree on the truth and now i think the proliferation of information i mean i guess i would call it information yeah. warfare and the technologies associated with it whether you're talking deep fakes whether you're talking about you know um just how we influence people etc I think now the fact that we can't agree on the truth and that we are so, and, and I'm not just talking, I'm, I'm definitely not talking about, you know, I'm, I'm not applying this to American politics. You can apply this worldwide in any, any um, environment, any group of folks, um, right? Whether it's, it can be business, it can be politics, it can be, you know, conflict, any number of things, but this proliferation of information and the ability to manipulate it, I think is the thing that worries me the most. And it can be as simple, you know, as, as altering people's opinions about, you know, a a particular person or event. And it can be the fact that, you know, when you, when your, you know, ship goes over the horizon, um, it's not that you don't know where you are. It's that you believe where you are, but you have no way of validating that. And you, and you may believe something that isn't actually true, right? Because it's being spoofed or, or whatever. I mean, it can, it can run in any range of, of, uh, of areas, but that inability to kind of understand um, what truth is and, and be able to trust it, um, I think is one of those issues that worries me the most. 
Okay. And, you know, this, this whole podcast, you know, we, we talked about mentorship uh, for our 50s, but, um, you know, any, any final words, advice, words of wisdom for our force managers? Yeah, I, I'm just going to go back and, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll take a, a little bit of a, you know, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them and then tell them what you told them. I, I go back to, right, you, you guys are tremendously talented. You are such, you know, you're, you're, you're a better group of officers overall in terms of your experience, your education, your intellect, um, and your and your outlook um, than you know than I was as I was coming up, and and I think that's incredibly valuable. I think you guys um, are of of a significant value to the Army. I do think that you need to take you know kind of the the reins, if you will, and start figuring out how to make the 50 branch as a whole more valuable. Um, and, and I, you know, I mean, I have my opinions of how to do that, you know, that, that, that I talked about a little bit centering around, you know, embracing some of the technologies that are out there, making our, our processes and systems, you know, better, faster, um, more integrated. Um, but I also think that, you know, your ability to, to kind of master and manage, this complex and complicated world that we're in today and, and drawing from, you know, from the groundswell that you guys are all part of is going to be important. I, I think it's an exciting time to be a 50. And I think, I think much more so than when I came in, because when I came in, it was about process. And I think where you guys are now is about results um, and your ability to achieve those results for your, you know, your, your boss, your organization, your unit um, it is, is, you know, so much greater than, than it was when I was coming in. I think it's a, I think it's a great time for you guys. And again, I'm, I'm going to go back to it again for, you know, there, there are your peers who are going to affect organizations that, you know, for a 500 or a thousand people for, you know, six months or two years. And you guys are going to affect the army and the joint force for decades to come in the things that you do, the initiatives that you, you know, that you champion and get across the goal line. And I think you should not lose sight of that, that your impact is that great across the force um, and and own and accept that responsibility and revel in it. All right, Chris. Well, hey, I really appreciate this. I really appreciate the conversation, um, you know, the discussion that we had. I mean, we're going on almost, you know, two hours here. I and mean, there's a lot of, uh, you know, great points that you, that you made. I, I learned a lot. Um, I, I know the community will will get a lot out of this this conversation, um, and I'll turn it over to you for for final comments before we before we close out. No, I, I'm just going to go back to you know I I really appreciate you inviting me on. This is an honor for me to you know to even be thought of to to get on this thing, especially as as I'm on my way out um, or am out now uh, on my way when you first uh, hit me up. Um, but I. Again, I'm going to go back to you. I, I really, really love what you were doing. I think it's fantastic. I think it's, I, I know that it gets, um, you know, attention and, and, uh, and it's, you've got a following and I commend you for what you're doing. I hope others, you know, take some uh, and carry it forward and go do their own thing, right? Not necessarily a podcast, but go do their own thing to help the branch. Again, I, I think, you know, you guys, you're filling a void that, you know, that folks like me did not, did not live up to in terms of, uh, of, of pressing this mentorship and, and proliferating information and, and uh, around for your peers. And, and I really 
I commend you for it. I think it's I think it's a great thing, and I'm I'm just really excited to have been a part of it. So thank you very much. All right, hey, thanks, Chris. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for future episodes involving national security, the budget, strategy, the defense industrial base, and China.